0: Welcome to the Small Business Big Mindset Podcast. This week, what a treat, you guys. We have Laura Belgray, founder of Talking Shrimp, author of the upcoming Tough Titties book out June 13th from Hachette, co-creator with Marie Forleo of The Copy Cure. The list goes on and on. Laura, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Well,
1: oh, thank you so much for having me, Erin. I'm just so happy to reunite with you.
0: Yeah, it's so great. So um, listeners, we Laura and I have um, worked together. I really do feel as though Laura is a mentor of sorts. And I know that there's probably hundreds of thousands of us out there that feel that way. Um, I was honored to participate um, in her Shrimp Club uh, mentorship and um, have been a, a student of hers really for the past few years. So um, what a joy um, to, to have you here today. So Laura, I, I would love to hear... I know some people probably know your story, but can we start there? Can you just kind of like go into a little bit about yourself and your background and, and how you came to be where you are today?
1: Sure. So, you ready for the overnight success story? Yeah, exactly.
0: Let's go. That, Buckle up, folks.
1: That, that starts in 1992.
0: Right? Let's go. <laughs>
1: That really is when I never know how far back to rewind, but I'll just start there. Why not? Since you asked. Um, So that's when I was a a year out of college and had frittered around for a year doing bartending jobs and um, having no idea what to do with my life, with my dad asking me, because I lived at home, dad asking me every day, you know, how's the job search going? I'd say, I'm pounding the pavement. I wasn't really. Um, and i lucked into an internship at a magazine called spy which was the hot downtown new york publication headed up by kurt anderson and Graydon carter who went on to do vanity fair and now air mail um so it was a pretty cool place to be and i was excited to start my magazine career i didn't know what i was going to do in magazines i always wanted to write something I didn't see myself as a journalist, and neither did they at Spy. Um, they <laughs> they gave us they wanted us interns to come up with and pitch stories, and I didn't come up with any. It was a six month internship, and over the six, you know the the sand going through my six month hourglass um, <laughs> day by day very quickly. Me not coming up with any stories, and the editor took me to lunch and said, the managing editor, she said to me, you know. You can take initiative here, and um, it's not great when someone tells you you can take initiative, mm-hmm. asks you to take initiative. It's pretty much the opposite of initiative, right? Uh, <laughs> and, and so I didn't come up with anything during that di- during those six months. But the ad side, we were all on one floor and there wasn't that separation between church and state, you hear about at magazines, uh, between editorial and ads. The ad side liked me and took mercy on me and hired me. They said, we've got room for you over here. So they took me in and most most of my job was admin stuff, but they assigned me one plum job. I thought it was a plum job, nobody on the editorial side wanted it. And that was to write an advertorial, For the magazine and if you're not familiar that's the page in the magazine that looks like it's part of the magazine but is actually an advertisement and says at the top you know in tiny writing advertisement or promotion so this was for doers scotch and i had the whole page to do things with so part of it was a recipe for a cocktail part of it was an essay on adulthood which is laughable um given i was still living at home and had flopped at my internship uh, (laughs) and had spent my first year bartending and being a bar hoe (laughs) Um, (laughs) so i wrote that there was a little essay at the bottom that and also a quiz called do you party like your uncle Marty? And the quiz was to determine whether you were cool or an old fart. Mm. And if you were an old fart, then obviously the remedy was to drink doers and (laughs) become cool and hip again. Of so I wrote this 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 one page thing. I had a full page in the magazine. It was very exciting and people really liked it even on the editorial side. All the guys on the editorial side who it was all guys at the time okay. were like this is really funny. You should actually write you should write stuff And so that's when I discovered copywriting. That was what that was. It was my first piece of copywriting, and it's still in a binder in my childhood bedroom where I just lived ever since. Uh, And I went on from there to be the copy, um, the copywriter at another magazine which was a bit more corporate and buttoned up and i lasted six months because i couldn't come in on time and i hated my boss and i'm not made for corporate life i don't anticipate the boss's needs i don't Mm -hmm. follow chain of command (laughs) i thought everything i wrote should be cheeky and sassy which i still believe and that and my boss thought it should be elegant Mm. and so we didn't get along i she fired me at the six month mark and after that um i had lunch with my friend adam from spy and adam was doing this job that he said was writing promos for vh1 Mm -hmm. and i was like what are promos and he's like well i watch a lot of tv and then i write those little things that go in between the shows during the commercials that are basically commercials for the shows And I was like, oh my God, that's a job. (laughs) I have to have that job. Get me that job. And as luck would have it, they actually had room for somebody else to do that job. And and so he hooked me up with the editorial director. She assigned me my first promo. I did that. I wrote a lot for VH1. After that, I became one of their go-to writers. I even wrote countdown shows um, for For like moon unit zappa who was the voice of valley girl in the song valley girl frank zappa's daughter and then segued to what was my holy grail of promo departments which was nick at night and worked there and then their spin-off channel tv land for many many years and that was my bread and butter and i worked for other networks too i wrote promos for bravo for we tbs nbc hbo all kinds of networks and even the commercial for fandango uh that starred kevin hart and um so really like me i felt like made my mark in promos but started to get A little antsy after some time there. I was also complacent, but I felt like I had something bigger to say, something more to write. I didn't know what it was. I took a screenplay writing course three times in a row, and never wrote a screenplay. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I just didn't have an idea for one. I just didn't know how I was going to use my voice, write in my own voice, and make money from it. And uh, I met around twenty uh no sorry i met way back in 2003 but didn't end up um turning it into a work opportunity until like late 2009 2010 uh marie forleo who is uh, we met in hip-hop class at crunch and she was at the time a life coach a beginning life coach and a bartender and uh, we became friends. Today, she is one of the biggest names in the online space. And you know, a renowned thought leader has been one of Oprah's thought leaders for the next generation, Super Soul Sunday, et cetera. At the time she was a life coach and bartender. And um, she <clears throat> asked me in 2009 to give she, you know, she had built her business up, quit bartending. Um, and was having her first live event called Rich Happy and Hot Live, and asked me to give a presentation on copywriting. And she knew my she knew me from Crunch, and sh- we would talk about promos. And she knew me as a professional copywriter for TV, totally different from the kind of copywriting the, and the the audience that she was serving. But it didn't matter. I just I gave I told what I knew about copywriting. And people came up to me during after the presentation and said, uh, I you know, I'm a realtor or I'm a coach or I'm a this or I'm that. Can you help me with my website copy? Can you help me with my about page? Can you help me with this or that? And I hadn't done that kind of writing, but I knew that I could probably better than most people. Because mm-hmm. most people don't know how to write in their own voice or in a voice that sounds human and conversational. And that was something I knew how to do. And so I took on those jobs and liked them and ended up segueing over time, <clears throat> partly because I got fired from my biggest client, like my bread and butter client in promos in 2010. So I ended up segueing um pretty completely uh, eventually into the online copywriting world. And I was a copywriter for several years for many different clients, uh, a lot of coaches, a lot of realtors, people who were private chefs all kinds of service providers entrepreneurs solopreneurs every kind of thing ending in preneur that you can think of and um, That's not the end of the story. I mean I made my name as a copywriter Murray and I created the copy cure together our copywriting course and at a certain point I started to feel a little itchy again, like I was always introduced as this is Laura Belgray, she's Marie Forleo's copywriter, which was a mis- misconception anyway. Um, we were partners, I wasn't her copywriter. Or this is Laura, she writes for Bravo and Fandango. This is Laura, she writes for so-and-so, she's helped Mastin Kip. People would just name everyone that I worked for. Right. And that was what defined me. And at a certain point, I felt like, you know what, I don't wanna be known as so-and-so's copywriter. I don't wanna be known as anybody's anything. I wanna be known as Laura fucking Belgray. <laughs> I want it to be known for me. This is Laura, she's a writer. And so that's when I started to segue out of being a copywriter for other people and into teaching copywriting only and mentoring people, creating programs and using my writing, which I was really good at, my own copywriting, especially in emails for myself. Like, you know what? I'm going to use my emails, which I've always, which I've written for years and years as my content, um, at, which I just use to entertain people. I'm gonna use these to sell stuff, to sell my own stuff. And so that's when I segued into, this work that I'm doing now as a brand, as a, a, a personal brand and yeah, a writer for myself. I use my writing to make money for me. Mm-hmm. No, and, and here
0: we are. And I say, bravo. And when I, when I was uh, prepping, you know, I was like doing some other projects this morning and I was like, I'm so excited. And I actually said this in my head. I am have a podcast. day, I get to chat with Laura fucking Belgray. <laughs> That's how I ha- say your name <laughs> in my head now. <laughs> so there's that. Um, and I will tell you with the copy here, I've bought my, share, my own share of online choruses. It is the only chorus that I refer back to. Uh, time and again, oh. you know, if I'm working on a certain project or, you know, and I'm like, oh, what was this? You know, they they touched on this in copy care. Let me look, you know, and and so um, so awesome. Thank you for the copy care. It's been super, so, super oh. helpful.
1: Um, Thank you for saying that. That makes me so happy. Yeah.
0: No, it's great. And I remember when I was going to start it, because I, I have also been a uh, Writing is my career, and I was just like, I don't know, is it for seasoned writers? Is it for entry? It's for everybody, you know. Um, and so, and I will tell people yeah. if, you're, if they're ever thinking about trying it out, please do, um, because as a person who who has two d- d- writes for my career, um, I, I found it super super helpful. Um, and it was so funny when you were like, I took a screenwriting class three times and never wrote a screenplay. It reminded me each time I've gone snowboarding, I've taken a snowboarding class. Still can't more. <laughs> so it's just, it's just not going to happen for me. <laughs> I need to. I need to realize that. Um, so product. when you were talking about all the different um, kind of producers and production houses that you were writing for, um, I was like, wow, that's so many different voices and mm. just like a plethora of tone that you yeah. kind of have to, you know, um, ingratiate, you know, get in there. Um, and so, yes. how can you speak to a little bit to that? Because I think for for some writers especially those uh you know starting out it's just like how do i how do i uh figure out the the voice and the tone you know from for client to client and and also it seems like it that's really helped you when you started taking on uh copywriting clients right later on in your career and even now as you're mentoring uh writers so can you cuz cuz you know people they have a hard enough time You know figuring out their own voice right but then also to kind of figure out everybody else's so can you speak on that just for a little bit
1: sure well i'll start with nick at night because nick at night had a they had a distinct voice of the network um the the tone of the network was very curatorial mock serious you know this is the place for classic TV, the home of classic TV. And they had spots that were very tongue in cheek. There were a, a series called Our Television Heritage. And they would talk about Reuben from the Partridge family and how his toupee would shift when he raised his eyebrows. And they call it the Reuben hair shift. It's part of our television heritage. And the voiceover was a person named Bill St. James, who um he's one of the original like in a world guys and he had a very a very a a voice made for tv and radio that serious you know gravitas kind of voice and i would get into the voice when i was writing it by thinking of his voice and even mimicking him out loud to myself so I knew what it had to sound like. I knew that it had to have this sort of serious tone, but say, you know, but while saying something absolutely ridiculous, and that helped me get into that voice. And later on, like with all with different networks, uh, if I was writing for a specific personality, for instance, I mentioned Fandango and The Spot with Kevin Hart. I would think of Kevin Hart's voice, Mm -hmm. listen to him a little bit, and then think of his voice when writing the spot that was for him. And so that worked well for me, is Mm -hmm. actually hearing the person's voice and mimicking it. And I was a good mimic growing up. I mean, I've always been a pretty good mimic. So that helps too. But I don't think that you have to be a born mimic in order to do that. But Mm -hmm. trying to talk like the person, trying to mimic them, that can help you get into the voice, the cadence and what they would say. Mm -hmm. So even if it's just your client who is a life coach, thinking how they talk, listening to them, don't just do this through email, have a session with them where you talk and hear the way they speak.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's so helpful because it can be such a challenge, you know, and so I speaking of hearing people speak, I never listen to audiobooks. I am so excited to listen to the audiobook of Tough Titties. <laughs> can I just tell you? So, um, so Tough Titties, let's talk about that as well. Because I have been on the, the pre-sale list for this ever since you like posted about it. I was like, yes, when can I get it? And so it doesn't come out until June 13th. I'm like counting the days. Um, but Talk to us a little bit about how that came about, right? Because I'm assuming you weren't just like, you know, uh, 10 years ago being like, I really want to write a book called Tough Titties, you know? So um, tell us no. like how it came about. Um, you know, it, it's probably not maybe the book that people might assume you would write um, at this point mm-hmm. in your career. So I'd love to hear about that and um, about the process as well. Because I know a lot of us out there, myself included, you um, Are kind of enamored, you know, with the traditional book process. So I just gave you five
1: things to talk about. (laughs) 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 I'll try to tackle them all. I appreciate it. (laughs) (laughs) So I mean, I have been talking about writing a book in some form since probably 2003. I remember being at a birthday party in 2003 and announcing, "I'm writing a novel." And I was shy. I was like, I probably shouldn't say this out loud because it'll probably take a long time, but I'm writing a novel. And of course I didn't. I wrote parts of it. I wrote parts of a memoir. I was always for so many years working on some little bit of a book, but having no idea what the book would end up being. I didn't know what is my story. I didn't know how my story would end. It hadn't really arced yet to any kind of transformation or growth. It was all I had to write about, and they were fun to write, but were stories of mistakes and failure and laziness and lateness and um, social mishaps and dating humiliations and work and adulting fails. And those are are now all together in a book <laughs> called Tough Titties. Um, I would say I started writing in earnest, still not knowing the title or what the shape of it would be in 2019 or so. And I found a mentor recommended my, by my friend, Terry Truspicio, who was also writing a book. And she said, there's no way I would have a book to write without Suzanne Kingsbury. Uh, and so I, she put us in touch and Suzanne was the perfect person to help me. She's She read all my stuff. And responded to it really well. I had written many, many chapters um, of the book with no shape, and she said, "We can sell this. This is great. Let's keep going. Here's what else I think you should. Here are other stories I think you should write that you've alluded to and these, etc." So that's when I started writing it, and then, um, and I didn't know what it was going to be called or the theme of it really. And sort of, I think my working title at the time was New Dork City, because, because. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a dork growing up in New York City, you get the idea. Mm-hmm. And one day I caught myself saying something that I say a lot, which was tough titties. Like, so-and-so wants you to do this. So-and-so thinks that you should show up for this. And I was like, tough titties. And I realized that that is something that I say a lot, A, because I'm 12 still, <laughs> and I'm still in like 1980 in uh, terry cloth halter top um, and in my roller skates. I'm not, not literally, but in my mind. Yeah. And it is the ultimate sorry, not sorry to expectations, to what you are supposed to do. And I am not a supposed to person. And that's the theme that has arised um, or arisen throughout the writing of this. It's all about being non-compliant with everything that we are supposed to be. I'm supposed to learn to drive and do my paperwork and be on time and learn to roast a chicken and have children. And the last of which is my biggest tough titties. Mm -hmm. Sorry, not sorry. I'm not doing that. And so the theme worked. I was like, Tough Titties, that's the name of my book. And it felt very New York to me, New York attitude and Mm -hmm. my attitude. And then the subtitle is On Living Your Best Life When You're the effing Worst. (laughs) And that that expresses the rest of it. I think a lot of people have said to me, uh, hearing my story and what I do for a living and how much I make, because I've been pretty open about that. Um, you know, oh my gosh, I want to be you when I grow up. And like, uh, I'm sorry, did you get the impression that I'm a grown-up? <laughs> right. Because I am a flaming hot mass of a human. And that's and I, I'm not being hard on myself. I just think there's so many ways where I'm still not a grown-up and probably never will be. I try to work on things, but I am late. I'm late to the party, I'm late to the Zoom call, I am just always running a few behind. I am lazy. Um, People might argue with that because I have gotten, I have achieved a lot, but Mm -hmm. I can, I do consider myself lazy. I don't like doing things that I don't want to do. And some people actually are good at that. That's a skill set that they have. And right. There are people who are like, who are dutiful and stoic and get everything done, Mm -hmm. whether they want to or not. And that's just not me. I'm the one who barely raises my feet when my husband comes around with a vacuum cleaner. Just like, oh, he's like, oh, I'm so sorry for cleaning. Oh. such a good visual
0: yeah well i mean you've given me almost permission to do you know because i think you know i speak for a lot of us over are like you're told to do so many things and you want to mm. achieve and you know every quiz i take like i get that like achiever and leader you know because i'm like yes you know i'll do it um but then you're like what am i doing you know because they'll tell you to do this like you know have grow this list or have this membership or have this website and write up all this stuff you know like do a podcast here I am you know so it's like you know it's like at some point you have to look at it and be like what do I actually want to do you know what am I dreading what am I like oh like I cannot believe I have to do like go in my LinkedIn group today you know maybe you shouldn't be doing that you know and so and so for for you know when you were like you know just don't do the things you're supposed to do, do things that you want to do. It was just like oh, I have permission. Thank goodness. Yes. Like, you know. Um. So so thank you for that, really. Um. And then for the <laughs> book, how was the book process for you? Because I can imagine that can be pretty stringent, right? Like certain due dates yes. and everything. So how did you manage all of that?
1: yeah well first of all you did bring up me not writing the book that i'm expected to write in my industry and that would be a copywriting book or a marketing book or some sort of a how-to a personal development book Mm -hmm. and one might say that my audience is full of people who only want to read books with action steps uh, and (laughs) books that tell them what to do and i don't think that that's true at all i have faith that they are a bunch of lazy mofos <laughs> like me or wish they were and want to yeah. embrace that side of themselves and want permission to be more of themselves and just want to feel better about their flaws and embrace those. And that is the book that I wanted to write. Um, not necessarily with that aim, but I came to that at the end. Like I wanted to write my stories. That's it. I wanted to write a bunch of stories with no call to action, no sidebar with your next steps no bullet points at the end of each chapter here's what you've learned no Mm. um and had i written that kind of book i probably would have had more bidders for the book and as it turned out i had just one and that was my publisher Hachette. everybody else that my agents went out to said she's a great writer we love this would she be willing to write a a marketing book Mm. or a how-to. And I had made them promise to say, no, she won't. Mm -hmm. And so I sold it to Hachette. And um, it has. I I thought it would just pour out of me. It had. A lot of it had poured out of me. But it turned out that I still had to. It wasn't enough to just say, here's the story. Here's what happened. And it was really funny. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. It was so embarrassing. That doesn't make for a good book. Each chapter, each story has to arc to some sort of wisdom or some sort of a point, a why, why am I telling you this? Just like my emails do, just like a blog post has to. Uh, it, it It is expected of us, no matter who our audience is, people want to know, why am I reading this? Mm-hmm. Why are you telling me this? Whether it's obvious and um, blatant or embedded and subtext. So so that was a real beast for me, was finding the why of every story that I was telling. Why am I telling this? What's the point of this? Sometimes I had to make one up. Mm-hmm. And so it was a long process. Um, with a good year in there, 2021, I, I call it the worst year of my life because I spent the almost the entire year pacing crying moping panicking procrastinating watching a lot of netflix reading a lot of trashy novels listening to audiobooks of like you know of the same genre of personal essay memoir and thinking they were so much better than anything i would ever write why isn't mine like that etc and um and then pushing off the deadline a couple of times it was supposed to the book was supposed to come out in fall of 2022. okay And now it's coming out summer 2021. It's not that long after, but Mm -hmm. it just, it felt like a real fail for me to be at at the deadline or approaching the deadline and not having rewritten or written anything new. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah.
0: I can understand that. And did they segment it out? Was it like, you have to have this much done by this time and then this much done by this time? Or how how was it structured? Mm -mm.
1: Uh, so it was more like, give me a few chapters. This is what my editor, the acquiring editor said to me, give me, so I had the, I got the book deal in October, 2020. And then she said, so by spring, you know, you should have a few sample chapters for me to look at and your intro that sets it all up. And so I gave her, I handed her not just a few sample chapters, but like, all the chapters, everything I had been working on. I had been in a writing program and workshopping my stuff. And I thought it was really good and, you know, maybe not polished, but I wanted her to see it. I was like, this is all stuff that I think is really good. And I want you to see it. And what I handed her was 85,000 words. Oh my gosh. The book, the book itself was supposed to be 75,000 <laughs> in the end. And so, yeah, she kept referring to it as the manuscript and saying like, here's the problem with the manuscript. I'm getting to your manuscript. Here are some things I'm noticing so far that really need to change. Here's what's not working. And it was a big, I mean, I vomited on her. Um, without realizing it, and then she handed me in turn handed me a shit sandwich with no bread. <laughs> the you know shit sandwich or a crit sandwich is supposed to have like compliments on either side. Mm-hmm. This is wonderful. I love what I'm reading. Here are a few things that you could work on. <laughs> it was right. just like, oh, there. You know, I'm I'm afraid. A, a lot of her emails started with I'm concerned that or I'm afraid <laughs> that. And that's what set me into my spiral, mm-hmm. my tailspin, <laughs> uh, which was just knocked down all my confidence, like dominoes, like mm-hmm. my my writing confidence, and then my business confidence, and then everything. It was such a shit show of a year for me emotionally.
0: I can imagine and I am someone who actually appreciates the shit sandwich. I have people who are like, tell it to me straight you know and i'm like i wish i was like that but i'm like but also if you could throw in something to prop me up that would be really helpful you
1: know yeah i Uh, don't think anyone wants you to tell it to them straight yeah without a little bread Mm -hmm. on either side at least in the beginning at least an open face sandwich at least you know it could be low carb just something yeah (laughs) it could be could be light bread could be a Sandwich thins, right? Um, Just a cracker, a flatbread. flatbread. Just give me a little bit, like fluff up my ego a little bit, my Mm -hmm. confidence. Tell me what you love, what's working, Mm -hmm. then tell me what is terrible, um, and I need to fix. So that's all to say, you know, we we moved the deadline, and she's like, okay, by the deadline, you know, I handed her all the stuff then i I regave her a few sample chapters as she had actually wanted Mm -hmm. around new years um of going into 2022 and then it was time to get going with the manuscript she said this looks good and your manuscript is due on april 1st and then i just i starting in february put my head down hid my phone in another room I did uh, Marie Forleo's Time Genius program, mm-hmm. which um, which really helped me. I needed that kick in the butt to just sit and work on my book every single day. And that had it could not be a day. Uh, no, I had zero spare days to make a day of sk- You know, scrolling on Instagram, maybe posting something, checking my likes, uh, getting distracted by swimsuits on Shopbop. I didn't have that luxury anymore. It was time to put my phone in another room and just work on my book every single day and get get a significant chunk done. And I made it. I made it to my deadline right on time. In fact, early. By early, I mean 4 p.m. as opposed to 6 p.m. On hey, that April counts. 1st. <laughs> that counts. counts. <laughs> That's very early for me. So,
0: yeah. um, how did you... How did you choose the moments from your life that would make it into the book? And then once you received that initial feedback of like, "Mm, concerned about all (laughs) these areas, um, how did you regroup, you know, and be like, okay, now I'm going to tackle this?
1: Yeah. Well, how I picked the stories that I was going to include, the moments from my life, basically all the stories that mattered to me, that was what I put in first. Like everything. it was first book syndrome. I'm like, I want to tell everything. Mm -hmm. And I also had different voices in my head, which is a big no-no, like the voice of this friend who really wanted me to write about New York in the 70s and 80s and about uh, carrying mugging money in case we got mugged, et cetera. And that was something that I wanted to put in there and wrote, but it didn't work for the book. So And that and and other chapters that other people wanted me to write i was like but this person's really expecting this thing Mm -hmm. like who cares this isn't for that person it's a book for you know for the world not the whole world but an audience of people um so i had to figure out what didn't fit i had to be a little bit ruthless and i had help you know i was working with suzanne and she helped me figure out like yep you know maybe that thematically this doesn't fit i can go in the next book and my friend terry the one who connected me with her had to talk me down on a regular basis i boxered her like every day and saying i want to tell this story and i want to tell this story and i don't know how to make them fit and i'm panicking that i'm not going to fit everything in it that i want and she was like you're not going to you are going on a trip and you are taking A suitcase you're packing one suitcase are you putting everything you own into the suitcase no Mm -hmm. you're putting the things that go on this trip into this suitcase and there will be more trips and those other trips you'll put the other things into those suitcases so I I, and she she was she had a metaphor like a different metaphor for this every day Um, and it really helped I had to remember like, okay, there can be more books. Mm -hmm. I don't have to put my entire life into this book, nor does anyone want my entire life in this book. Mm -hmm. So it was basically a matter of pulling out the ones that didn't work, rather than figuring out what to put in, what to put in was everything, and then pull (laughs) and then take the things out that are keeping the suitcase from closing. Mm -hmm.
0: That's such a good way to look at it. You know, it's like you're having... A dinner party with Italian food. What is on your menu? Not hamburgers, (laughs) like you know. Mm -hmm. So it's just exactly (laughs) such a great way. (laughs) Um, So okay, great. And so, how did you, you know, once you got that feedback again? Because so many of us, writing is tough, you know, and it's Mm -hmm. you know, even people that I work with are like, I'm glad I'm not the writer on this because man, you know, because everybody has an opinion, um, and sometimes you're very close, especially when you're talking about your personal life. So how did you kind of climb out of that and um, deal with that? criticism uh, constructively
1: i guess yeah um i would say with a with a lot of help and i mean because suzanne is a very non-critical i mean don't get me wrong she will go in there and say what does this mean you know i don't think you need this line etc but she's not a critical reader in, in terms of she doesn't say like this is bad Get rid of this. Um, she's gentle about it, mm-hmm. and she, but most of all, she will underline like where the powerful parts are. Oh, are you still there? Okay, phew. <laughs> Sorry, my, my browser just did something weird. Um, so that helped a lot, having a voice in my ear and on the page saying, this is fantastic. This is great writing. I love this story, and also having a writing practice that was to an audience ongoing while I was writing this. I had my emails, so every time I wrote an email, I would get feedback from my audience saying, I love this. So you tell. I love the way you write. You write exactly what I want to hear. You say the quiet part out loud. All the strengths of my writing that I value, mm-hmm. I would get mirrored back to me from my audience. So that was really important to me because writing a book is pretty much writing in a vacuum, and it's so hard. And you can see, like writing emails and writing blog posts before that, um, I understood like this is why. Actors love the stage, or say they love the stage, because they're getting feedback from the audience. Or sitcoms in front of a live audience, you're getting feedback from the audience. You get the laughs, whereas um, shooting a movie or anything else, uh, a single camera show, mm-hmm. you're it's it is into the void. Like even if you say something, if you perform something in, hilarious the crew will be laughing silently, if at all, you know, there's no sound, there's no feedback, you have no sense of how you're doing. And that's, it's the same when you're writing a book. It's like, is this landing? Hello? Is this on? I can't tell.
0: Right. That'd be really, really tough. So it's good that you had that other outlet, you know, of, Mm -hmm. you know, of feedback going on there. Um, Yeah to kind of remind you too, of like, no, wait a minute, (laughs) I'm good, (laughs) Um, you know, but yeah, but it's, it is different, you know, like you say, writing a book versus there's so many different ways, you know, to write, Um, so many different mediums, so many different channels, and they all take a different, slightly different way um, to frame it, you know, so, um, so now the book is written, you're Mm -hmm. you know catapulting toward the launch date um (laughs) what does it look like when you're you know you like what happens when they're like oh yeah cool check final book this is approved you know and then how does like how do you pick the cover art and the date of publish and, and and getting it out to the world
1: yeah the cover gets started if I remember right, way before I had the manuscript in, which was great because it was something to work towards. It was like, oh, I have a great cover. And this is one thing that everyone says is a nightmare, everyone who's been traditionally published. It's like, oh, they did the worst job with my cover. I'm so unhappy with it. I had to redesign it. I had to hire somebody to design it. And my publisher really nailed my cover. I gave them a pinterest board of ideas of of thoughts a mood board that was very vintage retro like it had things on it like bubble yum and um not just not diet coke i'm trying to think was it diet right um there was a there was a soda i'm i'm trying to remember that's not coming to me but anyway all kinds of things from (laughs) tab yes absolutely tab the tab font ads from the 70s t-shirts i wanted it to look like a t-shirt and have that retro vibe and they executed on it so beautifully i couldn't be happier with my cover so that was done a while back um, before i handed in the manuscript and then yeah after that they give you a schedule of like here's there are two sides production gives you a schedule like You know we're gonna um we're copy editing your manuscript and on this date we're gonna get edits back to you and you have um one month to go through them and respond to them and either make them or write step for style or uh reject them and then, and so they give you a schedule of how that's going to work and then the publishing side the the other the editorial side I guess gives you a schedule later on of how the marketing is going to go and when your flap copy for some reason that's a different department the the jacket copy mm. is going to be due and then when you know so you've got due dates coming from both sides and there's a lot of waiting and a lot of idle time when um, when you can when you're free to obsess over your book and its fate and what you're not doing yet that you're going to have to do later or mm-hmm. you know, yeah. bug bug people. Like, should we be doing this? Should we be doing that? I'm not a work in ahead in work in advance kind of person at all. But in this case, I, I'm a worry in advance yeah. person, right. <laughs> which is uh, so productive as you know. <laughs> right,
0: exactly. <laughs> um, so, you... You've been doing great at the pre-sales, I think, um, as far as p- you. pre-promoting. Um, it's awesome. And so did you kind of like choose certain channels that felt good to you um, to get the word out? Or how did you kind of construct that campaign plan?
1: Yeah. Well, because I, I'm an email person, I'm devoted to my email list, my email practice, mm-hmm. my shrimpers, who are my my subscribers. Yeah. I knew that I was going to lean on email, on my emails too, Get them on board and get them to buy. And of course, I'd use Instagram, um, which is my main social media channel and a great one for this book because it's such a, because the cover is so great, people are really drawn to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So I've, so I've been, yes, I've been using like what feels good to me. Um, I know. Eventually, I'm probably supposed to go on. to I'm sure they're pitching me for TV. Mm-hmm. And everyone's like, "Oh, can you get on the Today Show?" I'm like, "I don't want to be on the Today Show. <laughs> That's not comfortable for me." Yeah, I think about my legs and how I'm going to sit, what I'm going to wear, and I'm like, do I do I have to wear a skirt because I don't like my legs? I think mm-hmm. about all those things. I'm I'm self conscious way in advance. i it's yeah. like, I don't want to do. I don't, I, I'm sure it would be great, but it's not something I'm really excited to do. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I do what's comfortable for me, what I'm good at. I am not a huge proponent, proponent of getting outside your comfort zone. Yeah, I know it's sometimes necessary, but I prefer to work within my comfort zone. I it was so
0: bad about the comfort zone? Can we give the comfort zone some props? Because it's like, it gets a bad rap a lot of times, right?
1: It does. <laughs> I'm so fond of my comfort zone. Right. Like, that is where my genius is. Mm-hmm. They say all the magic happens outside your comfort zone. All my magic happens inside the comfort zone. Yeah. And, you know, when necessary, I will go out, outside my comfort zone and say, for instance, speaking on stage is something that is not in my comfort zone, but I have done it. Yeah. And the idea there is to enlarge my comfort zone, right. to bring it into my comfort zone, make it something that I'm comfortable with. I don't know if it ever will be. Some speakers say, nope, you never get over that. You never get over the nervousness and mm-hmm. yeah, uh, etc." But yes, Do you think you'll zone. do
0: a book tour? Do you think that might be something you'd be interested in?
1: It's something I'm interested in. Um, I, and I love seeing my fellow authors who are publishing their books, often their first books around, you know, this same time. I'm, I've got my eyes on all of them and I see some of them doing book tours, signing books, um, doing in conversation things. And I'm a little jealous because my publisher doesn't really believe in book tours mm-hmm. for a first time nonfiction author who's not a big name, who's not famous super famous. Got it. They think, oh, these work for people who are super famous, but generally you're not going to be able to fill the bookstore the way we want. I don't mm-hmm. know if that's true. I, did,
0: I haven't would disagree. Argued. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. I would disagree. I think so.
1: For sure. I think so. So so I'm definitely going to do a bookseller event in New York. Cool. And I think that's going to be, it might be on pub day, June 13th. It might mm-hmm. be that week. I think it probably will and um i am sure that that one will fill maybe it'll convince them that i should be doing other stuff yeah but on the you know on the other hand having talked to people who've done tours and said "Mm, it's a bit like you arrive in a city that's not your city, you go to the hotel, you have hours there, you're all wired up, uh, nervous, you have all this nervous energy, then you go do the event, and the event is amazing, and then you're really wired after, and you go back to your hotel, and you're alone, and then probably stay up too late because you're wired from it, and then you wake up the next day, and you get on a plane and go home. Right. And <laughs> and that made me think, eh maybe I don't need to, maybe maybe I don't need to fight my publisher on this one. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's a lot, they think, they, they like to say, and a lot of people in the book industry like to say, well, it doesn't really move the needle. Mm. It doesn't really sell books. And I know that there are some things that won't sell books directly, like, oh, that night we sold 200 or 2,000 books. But the publicity, they brand image that you have from doing an event in public with lots of with a full room Mm -hmm. is worth a lot of books I think that that does move the needle so we'll see if I decide to push back
0: yeah I may not want to right it may be something you should (laughs) do but you don't want to do Um, exactly well yeah and it's like you know I, I went to the book tour. I'm a big Beastie Boys fan and ah. <laughs> huge. And um, they put out a book a few years ago and they did a book tour and they only did select cities. It was like San Francisco, L.A., London, Brooklyn, New York, I think. mm mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, and so my husband and I flew to LA. It was like the only time we left the kid. But I'm like, we're doing this. I'm buying the tickets, and then we're figuring it out. Um, I think we were in LA for like 48 hours for this thing. And um, but what I thought was cool, and it's similar to to yours, is that their book was about their life and their memories and the funny things that happened, and you know, and crazy things that happened, that sort of a thing. And it was cool because then they had they showed the photos. You know, um, I remember when we were in, it's New York. And so you never know what's going to happen. And they were like, when this happened and they showed the photo and you're like, oh my gosh. So you felt like you were there with them and you made this connection. And I think it's a similar sort of vibe um, with your book and the content that you're sharing um, as well. So where it's not like a typical book tour where you're like, read an excerpt and you know, that sort of a thing, but it's like you, and that's natural to you anyway, where you kind of like draw your audience in through story. And so that's why I think like, if you kind of like made the book tour your own with your own flavor it could do actually really well and you'd make that relationship connection with the people sure maybe you don't sell a million books that night but to your point you're creating that connection so
1: yes yes and that makes people want to buy the book for somebody else say spread the word say you have to read this book and the author's awesome i met her i hope I hope they would say that. Yes, of course they would.
0: So (laughs) So, you're right. Yes, so I'm gonna I'm gonna keep a lookout. Maybe I'll I'll you know message you. And I'm like, so when is this tour? Are you coming to Austin, Texas? So Mm -hmm. (laughs) uh, so the book comes out um, June 13th. Can you please please tell us where um, people can pre-order it now, and you know all the good things or where they can find you.
1: Yes. So come over to ToughTittiesBook.com. It'll redirect you to a Talking Shrimp page. And that's another place to find me is TalkingShrimp.com. But ToughTittiesBook.com is where you can pre-order. If you pre-order now, if you pre-order pre-order just one copy, you will get the intro chapter in your inbox. You've got to fill out the form on the page. It doesn't just come to you as soon as you hit like Amazon and hit submit on the order. Fill out the form. Um, and people love the intro chapter like and love getting that sneak peek so i recommend it if you buy two um i'm gonna have more bonuses and they will be added on and so if you buy two now you'll get bonuses you're not even hearing about yet later but if you buy two now you will have access to the intro chapter and this epic call that i did about my book process where i went through it from. I mean, they may have just heard quite a bit of this <laughs> on this podcast, but the whole, my whole book process and I answered questions about, about the writing and the selling and, you know, the book deal, the publishing, all of it. Um, and it was a, it was a great call. It was a, I would call it a fan favorite. Mm-hmm. So that's what you'll get for two.
0: Oh, that's incredible. And I will tell you, I have never bought the regular book and the audio book of any book. And I did, I was, and I messaged you, I'm like, (laughs) I bought both versions (laughs) because I just cannot wait. I'm just so super excited for it. So- um, Thank you. Laura, thank you for taking the time. I know you're incredibly busy, especially everything else. And then your book is about to come out. So I really am so grateful that you took the time to chat with me today.
1: I'm so grateful that you had me on. It was really fun. And also one of my first tough titties interviews. So I can use the, like, I can use the practice talking about my book. There's a lot to say. And maybe I learned to condense my getting started story, which probably took up most of the podcast. (laughs) But it was so good. And
0: I always, I love hearing it because it helps people, you know, um, as they're starting out in their careers or doing career shifts. So uh, with everything that you do, you help us so much. So thank you. Thank you.